This past week, Steve Fletcher, Member of Parliament for the Winnipeg area riding of Charleswood St. James Assiniboia, who is a quadriplegic, announced that he will abstain from voting on the Right to Die Bill, C-384, which is currently going to its second reading in the House of Commons. This bill would allow people with terminal illness and those in severe, untreatable physical or mental pain to qualify for medical assistance to hasten their deaths. Even though the bill states that the patient would have to be over 18 years old, would have to be lucid, and has to request death on two occasions, and the doctor would have to get the opinion of a second physician, critics say it is too broad and any such law would lead to the slippery slope that would make certain people more vulnerable. Now this is not new information, and it is exactly the disabled community that feels most threatened by euthanasia and assisted suicide. This is why Mr. Fletcher's comments on the matter carry special weight. Mr. Fletcher has said that he supports euthanasia, but believes people should be helped to choose life. I don't get it. Does he not understand that once the law says that killing is okay under certain circumstances, people's attitudes will begin to change? If the law says it's okay, then it must be okay. And that's where the slippery slope begins. We can predict a future where killing will be acceptable as an appropriate response to pain or whenever anyone feels inconvenienced. Mr. Fletcher has admitted that, after the car crash that left him paralyzed, had he had a choice because the pain was so unbearable, he would have ended his life. But it was the support of his family and community that carried him through and gave him the hope he needed to continue. His successful career as a federal cabinet minister is proof that all people are valuable and that many, despite physical barriers, can lead a very productive life. He is a symbol of hope for the disabled community. Mr. Fletcher says that he is abstaining from the vote in order to encourage dialogue. I see it as a cop-out. If he believes people should be helped to choose life and that the bill is too broad, then he should vote against it and be glad that euthanasia was not legal at the time of his accident or he would not be here today to be having this conversation. I'm Pedro Guevara Man, and this is Salt and Light Radio. Hello and welcome to Salt and Light Radio. I'm Pedro Guevara Man, and today I'm alone here. Krista Matrenko will be joining us on the phone from Israel, where he's working on several projects. And Michelle is now settled in with the Knights of Columbus uh, Supreme Office in New Haven, Connecticut. So Alicia Ambrosio will be with us today to keep us up to date with all the events that are happening across the country. Now, what would you do if someone you loved was brutally murdered? Would you want revenge or would you settle for justice? Would you be able to forgive? Today we'll hear from someone who had that very decision to make when his son was killed and we'll speak to David Wong from the Canadian Catholic rock band Critical Mass about their new focus on the theology of the body. Now, if you're wondering how that would work in musical form, the theology of the body that is, that's what their new album Body Language is all about. So here from that very album is their song Conception Interception. Disrespecting rhythms, hormonal instability, acting on our will. Don't want progeny, stifling our prosperity. Just my cosmology, trust in your sterility. 
momentary pleasure Leave the room the spirit here Just a stock at measure The world's the last frontier Conception and deception Societal deception My phone's had no perception Gonna miss my own creation The death of a nation Shrinking population Motherless invention Artificial contraception our featured band of the week, Critical Mass, with Conception Interception from their album Body Language. We'll be speaking to their frontman David Wong in about 25 minutes, but now it's time for events. So here with us now is Salt and Light producer Alicia Ambrosio. Thanks, Pedro. Well, we're going to start with Vancouver because I'm biased. <laughs> I'm from Vancouver. Yes. <laughs> so, in Vancouver, help send special kids to camp. Van Speck, the Archdiocese Catechesis Program for Special Needs Children and Young Adults, is having their annual dinner dance. It's all to raise funds for their summer camp program. The dinner dance is taking place November 13th at Our Lady of Sorrows Parish, but for tickets, you can call the Van Speck Center at 604-253-2233. And then jumping across the mountains, in Edmonton, the Office for Social Justice invites everyone to learn about Pope Benedict XVI's latest encyclical, Caritas in Veritate, otherwise known as Charity and Truth. That's November 10th at the Catholic Pastoral Center. This is your chance to reflect on how you can live out the encyclical message in your life, in your parish, your work, your community. There is a cost. It's $5, but that includes lunch. You do need to confirm your attendance, and you'll find the information for that on Edmonton Archdiocese's website. The Catholic Pastoral Center is located at 8421-101 Avenue. Also in Edmonton, St. Teresa's Parish is hosting Participating in the Eucharistic Banquet, a liturgy workshop featuring Bishop Gerald Wisner of Prince George as the keynote speaker. That's November 13th and 14th. The workshop is open to all lectors, ministers of communion, sacristans, acolytes, etc., etc., anyone who wants to make the liturgy the best it can be. So for more information, contact the Archdiocese Liturgy Office at 780-469-1010. Moving south to Calgary, the Life and Family Resource Center presents Awakening Hope for the Community, a Catholic Approach to Public Health. And that's Saturday, November 14th at St. Mary's University College. This conference is for all medical professionals, healthcare workers, educators, clergy, pastoral associates, marriage prep presenters, sponsor couples, pretty much almost for anyone. Mm -hmm. um, there is going to be a focus on H1N1, public health on that. Yeah. So for information and to register, call 403-218-5505. In Saskatoon, 
The Foundation series continues with What Happens in the Old Testament. So mm -hmm. on Tuesday, November 10th, you can join Debbie Rolfs for a look at the history of the Jewish people as it's told in the Old Testament. The idea being this will help put the Sunday readings in context. Interesting. That's important. Yeah. Totally. That is November 10th, as I mentioned. It is $5. Everyone is welcome, but you must pre-register, and it's happening at St. Francis Xavier Parish at 7 p.m. So to register, call Irene Legat, 993-1108. Moving on to Manitoba. There is a multi-faith cafe happening November 10th. It will be held at the Unitarian Church at 603 Wellington Crescent. Mm -hmm. Come and hear four young adults share their personal faith stories and how being a person of faith has made a difference in their lives. And join in the conversation. Mm -hmm. That's what it's all about. Um, the event is free, although there is a suggested donation of $5. And yeah. it's sponsored by the Manitoba Interfaith Council. That's great. That sounds really interesting. So if you're in Manitoba in Winnipeg, it's Winnipeg? Um, uh, St. Boniface. St. Boniface, yes, which is, which is Winnipeg. Which is Winnipeg. <laughs> it's the uh, French part of the Diocese of Winnipeg. Um, you should be sure to join that event. Thank you, Alicia. Um, Alicia will return at the end of the show with some more events so you can plan your week. You're listening to Salt and Light Radio on the Catholic Channel and on the internet at saltandlighttv.org slash radio. Our blog can be found at saltandlighttv.org slash blog and our email address is radio at saltandlighttv.org. I'm Pedro Guevara Man, and now joining us on the phone from Israel is Chris Dimitrenko. Chris, welcome. Well, actually, Pedro, I'm not, well, I'm sort of in Israel. I'm actually in the Palestinian territory. That's right, because you're in, you're in Bethlehem. That's right. Yeah, I arrived here, um, I arrived here one week ago. I went right from Tel Aviv straight to Bethlehem. And uh, and to get to Bethlehem, it meant that actually crossing the uh, the security fence. So even before even before I got to see much of old Jerusalem, saw a little saw a little bit from our shuttle bus. Okay, crossing the, the security fence and going uh, going to Bethlehem. And what was that experience like? Well, it wasn't too hard to to cross the wall. Um, it's 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 a very large wall, very very dominating in. Uh, in the landscape here, but uh, I was with one of the Christian brothers, uh, uh, one of the, the Christian brother religious, who uh, works at Bethlehem University, and so this is what I was going there for, um, was to begin research on a documentary that we're doing on Bethlehem University, which is, which is run by the Christian brothers. Right. So you are in Bethlehem, and Bethlehem, of course, is the birthplace, I mean, people know it as the birthplace of Jesus, so have you had a chance to, to look at any of the sites? Yes, I did go on my very second day to the Church of the, the Annunciation. Uh, sorry, the Church of the Nativity, rather. Yes. Uh, and and it was uh, it was actually a really really rainy day, rainy and cold and windy, but uh, the church was was magnificent. You go into this very tiny door, which I was told is called the the door of humility, because you have to bow as you go in the door, and uh, the site itself. Is divided between a number of different Christian denominations. You've got your your Catholic Church, uh, the one that we see uh, every every uh, every Christmas in, in the Mass that is televised. Uh, but you also have the Greek Orthodox site, and that is the site where you can actually touch the place where it is believed that Jesus was born. 
Right. I was taken there by a young woman named Rowan, uh, who is Greek Orthodox and who is working at the university. And uh, and it really kind of hit me the the situation of, of of what Christians are living in Palestine. I asked her since she was Greek Orthodox if she had been to the Church of the Holy Sepulchre and seen uh, what is called the the Holy Fire, which is something that happens, um, I believe, every Easter. Right. The Church of Holy Sepulchre. And uh, and she said no because she can't actually go to the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. Uh, because you need to have a pass to be able to go to Jerusalem, which is Palestinian, and even then you need to somehow get a second pass to get into the old city within Jerusalem. Right. So because so, so that was really one example of sort of you know realizing that uh, uh, the, the, the politics of the situation affecting people's lives and also affecting very much the practice of their faith and the way that they go about their faith. Yeah, right. Both these religious and these political elements are really inescapable wherever you go. Right, so so, so it, it, this affects Arabs, not just Muslim Arabs, but it'll affect all Arabs, uh, even if they're Christian. Um, Chris, what are you going to be doing next week? Well, next week I'll be getting to uh, to go to Israel and uh, and hopefully also getting some more of their perspective on these very issues. Since, since all my time has been spent um, in Bethlehem thus far, uh, and we're going to be going throughout the country, so going going up north, uh, back through Jerusalem to Tel Aviv, which is on the coast, then going up north to Nazareth, right, and then from Nazareth. Uh, Nazareth is where the Church of the Annunciation is, uh-huh. and then going to the Sea of Galilee, which is just a little bit east of there, again in the southern part of Israel, and then finally uh, going to more of the biblical holy sites, that'll be the focus of our travels, uh, in Jerusalem. So I'll get to go to the the, um, the Holy Sepulchre, um, to, the, to the Via della Rosa, and, uh, and the Cynical and and so we'll be filming these for for future production. Right. So you're you're following not not necessarily you're looking at all the sites, but but particularly the sites that were visited by Pope Benedict last year. Correct. That's right. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, kind of providing some context to to the reasons why he chose those sites, and also giving people an understanding of why Christian pilgrimage is important and why the church is still affirming that even though it's great to pray at home. We should still be going on pilgrimage. Right. Now, just a note for anyone joining the program at this time, you're listening to Salt and Light Radio. I'm your host, Pedro Guevara Man. We're speaking to our news producer, Chris Demetrenko, who is currently in the Holy Land. He's in Bethlehem, and he joins us now uh, on, the, on a mobile connection. Um, Chris, um, there's a, a story that we picked up here about a, a, a young uh, a Palestinian who was deported back to Gaza. She was a student at the, at the Bethlehem University. Can you, do, do you have more information on that story? Uh, yes, I do, and this has really been the, the talk of the campus because this just happened one week ago, and uh, it's probably going to be, be a part of our production since the story just emerged, you know, just before we arrived. What happened was a 21-year-old college uh, or university student uh, in uh, studying business mm-hmm. uh, named Berlanti Azam, but known to her friends as Betty, uh, a young Christian girl, uh, she was two months away from graduating, 
And uh, because she was graduating, she was looking for a job. So she went to Ramallah, which is the, the capital of the West Bank. Ramallah, yes. uh, I believe, is just north of, of Jerusalem. So mm-hmm. She traveled there from Bethlehem. And she was stopped in, at an Israeli army checkpoint. And, uh, and here's, here was the problem. Um, Benny is, is from the Gaza Strip. You know, the Palestinian territories are divided between the Gaza Strip on the east and the West Bank, naturally, on the west, with yes. Israel in the middle. And she had a permit only to travel to Jerusalem for a few days. And after she traveled to Jerusalem, she went to Bethlehem University because she had been accepted. Now, keep in mind, even though she was going against uh, the Israeli rules on that travel permit, in the Palestinian territories, that travel permit, uh, she would certainly argue, would not apply as the Palestinian territories. You know, they, they are very happy to, to have her there. Right. And uh, but it was decided by the Israeli military that, that she was there illegally. Uh, so she was deported, and not deported from Israel, but deported from the West Bank, the Palestinian territories, blindfolded, and then taken and dropped off in the Gaza Strip. Right. Um, basically just across the border uh, at, at night. Right, so she is now unable to leave Gaza and cannot continue her education at Bethlehem University. Exactly. So she's got only two, two months left before her graduation. And, uh, and at this point, um, uh, there is a legal effort, uh, thanks to a human rights group named Gisha, and also Bethlehem University um, has been working very, very hard to get her back to the country. Uh, she's not the only uh, student from Gaza who, uh, who they hope to, to bring over to, to uh, do their education here. There are 12 others right. who have been accepted to, to study here, except they hadn't been given the travel permit. Right. Uh, Brother Jack Kern, uh, one of the Christian brothers here at the university, um, he said that you know, she has been here since 2005, the one security concern that she's been involved in, uh, it's really not about political posturing. It's about a young woman's, young woman's life and her dream and her goal for a university education. Right. And again, just to highlight, this is not, she's not a Muslim. Uh, she's a Christian. So this, these, these are, mm-hmm. are, are laws or rules that, that or actions that affect uh, Christians. Christian Arabs as much as uh, as anyone else. Uh, Chris, it's been really good speaking to you. I know that you're uh, between things, so we're going to let you go. Um, but we'll, we look forward to speaking to you uh, as the weeks go and uh, and maybe find out how this uh, story and re- resolves and uh, what else you're up to. Okay, well, hopefully it will be resolved. And I'll talk to you again soon, Pedro. Yes, thank you, Chris. That was our Salt and Light radio news producer, Chris Dimitrenko. He joined us on the phone from Bethlehem, where he's staying with the Christian Brothers at Bethlehem University. He joined us, uh, as you heard, uh, over a sketchy cell phone connection. Um, if you'd like to comment on anything you hear in this program about uh, this uh, interesting story about this young uh, Arab Christian uh, student, uh, send us an email radio at saltandlighttv.org. You're listening to Salt and Light Radio on the Catholic Channel, Sirius 159 and XM 117. At the same time that Americans were focusing on the events at the Columbine High School in Colorado in 1999, Canada was quietly having its own Columbine incident in Tabor, Alberta. 
17-year-old Jason Lang was shot dead by a 14-year-old boy who opened fire inside the W.R. Myers High School. Since then, Jason's father, Reverend Dale Lang, has devoted much of his time traveling the country to talk about this tragedy and how they've dealt with it. Reverend Lang joins us now on the phone. Welcome, Dale. Thank you. Thanks for coming on to the program. Um, can you take us back to the moment when you heard that there had been a shooting at your son's school? Yeah, we, uh, we really didn't hear that there was a shooting at our son's school. We got a phone call um, uh, at our home to tell us that our son was uh, in the emergency unit and that it was a very serious circumstance. We didn't know what it was. So we immediately rushed to the hospital, and upon arriving at the hospital at the emergency unit, the uh, we were told that he had been shot, which, of course, was unbelievably shocking news to us at that point in time. Right. And then we asked, you know, where he was, uh, not expecting to hear that he had been shot in our little quiet small-town school, but the, the answer came back, yeah, he was shot at school. Okay, so as you found out that, that who the shooter had been... Um, what sort of feelings were uh, rising up inside of you? Well, you know, uh, even before I knew the name of the shooter in the hospital, after uh, we were, uh, at the time we got to the hospital, uh, they were still trying to save Jason's life. So we had to wait a while, and then when they came out and told us that he had, had not made it, um, and after having spent some time in that room with uh, with his body, we... I came out of the room and got very angry, yes. uh, just walking back and forth. I didn't know the name of the shooter. And my anger wasn't directed at him necessarily, nor at God, just that my son was gone, which was so unjust and so wrong. Yeah. Um, so I didn't direct my anger at him, but I did have anger at that time. Thankfully, God's grace was more than sufficient to take me out of that place, and I actually never went back to feeling angry again. Now, it's normal, uh, of course, to feel the anger and, and even hatred or, or to want justice or, or even some people, I guess, to want revenge. Sure. Um, but you just mentioned the word grace. Right. And now, I think that intellectually, I think, because of who you are, you would have been able to quite easily say, well, I'm called to forgive. But where does grace fall into? Because one thing is to, to know that we're called to forgive, and the other thing is to actually feel, to, to yeah, let go. Yeah, it, it, you know, you don't, in, in, the, in terrible moments of uh, great pain, you don't, uh, you don't sit down and, you know, say, well, how should I respond? Yes. Um, it, it, it becomes a reaction out of who you are as a person, out of your heart. And uh, for me, uh, that reaction, because I had uh, been... Uh, a Christian for, at that time, 20-some-odd years, mm -hmm. um, I was able to, I think, uh, by God's grace again, respond uh, not out of anger, but out of, uh, out of compassion. Now, not only did you respond out of compassion, but you became a bit of a leader in, in I guess, leading the whole school community, particularly in, in, in terms of that response. Um, and you spent a great deal of the last 10 years taking this message across the country. Now, why, at the expense of being obvious, but why is it, imp it's an important message, but why is it so important that we, that you spend so much time letting people know? Well, I didn't, you know, I never chose that. Uh, people started phoning within days of my son's death asking me to come and speak because we had begun to talk, I think, with God's compassion, and also we, of course, forgave the boy who killed our son. Mm -hmm. Um so 
so I've never sought to speak anywhere. And uh, this is all, I, I, as it began to happen, I really believed it would be a very short time frame that I would go out and speak a few times, and then once we were no longer news, you know, that that would fade away. But right. here we are ten years later, and I'm still being asked to speak. And I guess the only answer I have is that the issue is critical. It's, um, it's an issue we all struggle with, you know, how to deal with the hurts of life and how do we deal with uh, getting wounded by other people. It is a critical issue that we all face on a virtually daily basis. Mm-hmm. So the significance of the issue seems to keep on bringing me to places to speak, and uh, and that's what keeps happening at this point in time. Yeah. Now, just a note for anyone that might be joining the program at this time, you're listening to Salt and Light Radio. I'm Pedro Guevara Man, and we're speaking to Reverend Dale Lang, whose son was uh, shot dead at a, at a school shooting incident in Tabor, Alberta, in 1999. Um, now, I- I- is that why you became involved in the restorative justice movement? I, I guess it sort of happened afterwards, right? Well, you know, one of the groups that uh, has asked me uh, on a number of occasions to come and speak is restorative justice. And, of course, the reason for that is because restorative justice really is all about the idea of uh, rescuing or uh, seeing um, people who have offended to to come into a, a healthier place in their own lives, to, to be healed so that they don't keep on offending and hurting other people. Right. And so uh, my story fits, obviously, right into that sort of thinking. Now, uh, for people that might be hearing that term for the first time, restorative justice, um, so you've explained it in terms of the offender to, so that they can come to, f- to wholeness, and sometimes our criminal justice system is not that doesn't put that <laughs> at the top of the list, but doesn't it also have to do with the people, the victims, and the victims' families to also come in uh, to be able sure, to reach us? Yeah, there's a whole understanding of, of bringing uh, victims and uh, perpetrators together when possible and working through uh, feelings and uh, circumstances, hopefully to bring healing to everybody involved. There's no question that that's also a part of the equation for the restorative justice model, that to, to just to see everybody involved uh, come to a place of peace and, and resolution. Now, is it true that the Canadian criminal justice system is involving as much as possible this idea of restorative justice when possible? Yeah, you know, I'm not an expert on that end of things. I, I don't I don't spend a lot of time in the, in the criminal justice system. I think that there is, uh, I think the restorative justice movement has, you know, uh, helped the, the system move in that direction in some ways. Um, it's a very large thing, the whole criminal justice system, and yes. I don't know exactly, you know, where it sits right now in terms of its its mandate and where it wants to head. It's obvious, it seems, that if you can uh, help people um, stop reoffending, mm-hmm. that that's going to make a huge difference in the country because we continue to hear in our news of of people who have been caught again and reoffended again, usually over the same or similar issues. Yeah. So if there's a way in which we can find a way to, to see people set free from that behavior, then obviously mm-hmm. that's a huge thing for all of us. Yeah, that's a nice way to put it, that in terms of freedom, to be set free, because we all need to be set free. Um, maybe if you can leave us with, with some advice. There might be some of our listeners who are struggling because they've been hurt or they've been victimized or they've lost a, a loved one, and they're struggling with what, at least if they're, you know, the Christian belief tells them that they should forgive and they're not able to come to that. What, uh, what, maybe not advice, but what words do you have for them? Yeah, I, yeah, you're right. I don't, I don't tell people how to feel or, or what to do. I, I can only share with them that 
when when I was able to, by God's grace, choose to forgive the boy who killed our son, I began to understand after a while that it was a place of new freedom for me. Mm-hmm. That once I let go of anger and, 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 and I let the walls come down, because generally when we hurt, we're hurt, we build walls to prevent people from hurting us more. When we do that, then the Lord promises to come in and, and begin the process of healing us that will bring us to a place of freedom. Forgiving is not easy. Sometimes it's very difficult. Sometimes it's a process that takes a, a, a while. But um, my definition of forgiveness is very simple. When you can think about or look at a person who's hurt you deeply and still feel peace inside yourself, Mm -hmm. you've probably arrived at a place of forgiveness and you've been set free. Yeah. Dale, thank you so much for speaking to us today and thank you for your your courage and your leadership in this, uh, with this important uh, message. Well, thank you for uh, calling me and uh, have a great day. You too. Thanks. Bye. It's been proven that the best way to bring healing after a crime is the path of restoration. Now, if you'd like to learn more about this and how it's being incorporated into our criminal justice system, you can attend the Restorative Justice Conference that is taking place November 20th and 21st at the Trinity St. Paul's United Church in Toronto. For more information, you can visit the Friends of Dismas website. That's Dismas, the good thief, the Friends of Dismas at uh, www.friendsofdismas.ca. Click on the Restorative Justice Conference link. Um, and we'll also have that link off our own website as well. Reverend Dale Lang will be the keynote speaker on November 20th in the evening and again on Saturday afternoon. The other keynote speaker uh, on November 21st is Arthur Lockhart. He's the founder of The Gatehouse, a community-based home assisting people victimized by child sexual abuse. We've been speaking with Reverend Dale Lang, whose son Jason was killed in a school shooting in Tabor, Alberta in 1999. We've been talking about restorative justice and about forgiveness Um, You've heard what he had to say, and now we want to hear what you have to say. So remember, send us your comments to radio at saltandlighttv.org. Hi, this is Christopher West from the Theology of the Body Institute. You are listening to Salt and Light Radio on the Catholic Channel, Sirius 159 and XM 117. I'm Pedro Guevara Mann, and here now is our featured band of the week, Critical Mass, with the title track of their album, Body Language.
Critical Mass with their song Body Language, which is a song that talks about how the body's language reveals the image of God. And in a way, that is the message of the whole album, uh, the album Body Language, which is an album that incorporates the messages of, messages of John Paul II's Theology of the Body. And to tell us all about that and how it works, we're joined now by Critical Mass's frontman, David Wong. Welcome to Salt and Light Radio, David. Thank you very much for having me on the show. Yeah, it's, it's good awesome. to it's good to have you back. Um, uh, now, I just want to talk about this this incident because the album the the album release was delayed because you were attacked and had an injury to your windpipe. Yeah, um, what was one that? of these things where you don't you don't expect it. I was I was playing in a uh, recreational soccer game uh, I'm, uh, I'm a soccer player I've played all my life I, I, I've been coaching for years so here I am playing soccer and uh, a fight broke out in front of me and, and a uh, fight players between three of their players and one of ours oh, and so man. I just leaned over basically to, to try and break things up be, trying to be the peacemaker and someone grabbed me from behind on my windpipe and basically uh, assaulted me, and uh, I had nerve damage to my vocal cords, and it set things back uh, quite a ways. Uh, basically, everything was delayed probably close to nine months. Are you serious? So you couldn't sing? Couldn't, couldn't sing. Uh, we couldn't perform. You had uh, to cancel concerts, right? No concerts. So oh, it, was, it was quite the quite the setup, and it was quite a. Uh, uh, an emotional time because you know uh, anyone who's ever been involved in a creative process like creating an album yes you want it to get out there and to have it uh, delayed this long by something that's totally out of your control uh, totally unnecessary right? right and you know as a, as a Christian uh, and as a Catholic singer you know you you preach about peace and all this <laughs> stuff and then to have someone assault you <laughs> it just there's a certain wow. irony. And, and it, it is, uh, especially the when the album is, is, is about the language of the body. I mean, what does that say about, you know, we're talking about, in a way, about sex, but it's also the language of the body in terms of any language. Yeah, and that was definitely something a little more violent. Than, yeah. You know, we're created in the image of God, Seriously. but that action definitely was Seriously. not of God. <laughs> now, and there's also, oh man, we could spend all the time just talking about this because I'm thinking about also you as an artist, I mean, your voice... And and what if there had been permanent damage or you know like uh, it, it it's it's been frustrating because even now I have to be very careful. Uh, yeah. If I sp- I'm a professor by profession. Yes. So if I speak too long, I get hoarse. Yeah. Uh, and my worry is is vocal cord nodules. Yeah. And uh, yeah. it's uh, yeah it's so something I've taken for granted. Yeah. Now I have to uh, you know treat a lot more carefully and yeah. be a lot more careful. Well, sometimes God gives us little <laughs> opportunities for to take care of ourselves better. Not that you weren't taking care of yourself. Let's talk about the album. So Theology of the Body. People, I think our listeners are familiar. We've talked about Theology of the Body in this program enough. Um, we actually had Christopher West on the program a couple weeks ago. Oh, wonderful. Yeah, it was, it was very good. So Theology of the Body. How do we get that message into music? Wow, it took a year <laughs> to write. 
so this whole process has been very drawn out and uh, basically what I want to do is reflect on and you mentioned Christopher West I did use a lot of his resources a lot of his books and I researched everything for a year and so yeah. every song deals with some aspect of the theology of the body everything from ma- marriage to celibacy to homosexuality to how secular society treats sexuality okay so uh, in 12 songs <laughs> it, was, okay. it was a tough challenge Okay, no, that's good. I mean, obviously, uh, we can't we can't say that music does the same thing that reading the book does, but maybe it'll it'll help uh, get that message to an audience that wouldn't read the book. I any of the books, Christopher. I mean, certainly John Paul II is hard to read, but even for some people, Christopher West, they're never going to pick it up. So maybe, I mean, is that what you were thinking that this is just another means to get the message out? Yeah, just to to, um, to tweak people's interest because I think. You know, once people, I mean, it, it, it's been surprising because, as far as I know, we're the only ones who've actually dedicated an entire album to the whole con- uh, the whole uh, yeah. topic of sex, love, and communion. Yes. You know, no Christian rock singers that I know of, no Catholic artist has done that. And so what we want to do is just basically open the door a little bit, promote discussion. Uh, right. There's even a song about contraception on the album, yes. right? Yes. And a lot of our non-Catholic listeners are going to go, huh? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, they yeah. So, talk about and, and yeah. We're, we're, you know, it's it's a fine line. You don't want to preach uh, because there are going to be some people who disagree with you. You want to basically get people to go, hmm, maybe I should look into that. Yeah, that's true. Actually, we 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 listened to Conception Interception was the first song we heard in the program today. Um, <clears throat> just to know for anyone joining us now, we're, you're listening to Salt and Light Radio. I'm your host Pedro. We're talking to David Wong. Frontman, singer-songwriter with uh, Canada's Catholic rock band, Critical Mass, about their new album, Theology of the Body. Now, you were uh, <laughs> invited to, to play at the Theology of the Body conference that took place in Toronto. That's two, right. Two weeks yeah, ago. That was, that was a so that's, kinda, oh. that's kind of a neat, uh, I guess, uh, um, uh, offshoot of, of this project. But it made me think that, that, that is, is this taking the group in a particular kind of direction, that, that Theology of the Body as a theme for your concerts and for everything, it, it is. In fact, the, uh, the we are, we're going to have a, about to have our CD release uh, in a couple of weeks. Yes. And uh, one of the things that we were trying to think of is we want to make this a different experience. So we we're actually for the very first time incorporating video, uh, and it's got all of its own technical challenges. So this yes. concert will be very unique in that we will actually have video synchronized to what we're singing. Okay. As as we're doing the concert, uh, all the big secular bands tend to do something simi- yes. similar. Uh, so you know, with a uh, Catholic band and a Catholic budget, <laughs> we're yeah, going to yeah, try yeah. and do something similar. So more of a multimedia experience, but the message being so 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 the message of of the theology of the body being complemented with images. That's right. Uh, without being preachy or corny. So sometimes the images just sort of loosely get across the idea of the song. Okay. Now, this is not, uh, I mean, the, the, the use of multimedia might be a different thing for you guys, but it's not new for Critical Mass to, to try different things, because I remember when Grasping for Hope, uh, your, your previous album came out as a graphic novel, or that's, with, with that's a, right. a graphic novel. I thought, well, that's different Yeah. Um, and, and, and totally cool. So, so you're just trying different things, trying to reach young people in different ways? That's right, and, and uh, you know, one of the things uh, that we're starting to understand is that the new generation, the younger generation, so to speak, uh, they view the world and they interact with the world t- 
totally differently. Right. It's, we're talking about the Facebook generation, the YouTube generation. Yeah. Um, we're not talking about the people who even know what CDs are. Yes. Uh, paying for CDs, like, what? <laughs> you know, it's a totally different generation. Right. And uh, one of the interesting things I found out recently talking to my, my own multitude of kids. Yes. Um, it was that kids nowadays, in our days, you know, back in you know when you saw an artist perform, you'd be you'd be absolutely uh, scandalized if you knew that the person was performing to a track. Right. You know, even more scandalized if you thought, oh man, maybe this person wasn't even actually playing. On yeah, the track. yeah, yeah. Now what I'm finding is a lot of artists don't even hide the fact that they're not playing. That most of the music is is basically off a, of a CD, essentially. Right. And the kids aren't bothered by it. Interesting. So we're now talking about a generation who YouTube, who have no issues with, with artists pretending to play, and uh, how do you deal with that as a Catholic artist with a limited budget? You Interesting. Know, you're competing with the Britney Spears Circus Tour, right? Yeah, yeah. How do you do that? So we're trying to think of innovative ways to yeah. to do that. Yeah, for sure. Don't don't compete with Britney Spears. <laughs> it's not <laughs> worth it. Um, uh, I, I wanted to talk to you about that the last song in the album, Tantum Ergo, which <laughs> which uh, some of our older listeners <laughs> might recognize the the title. Um, that's not part of theology of the body, uh, to I my knowledge. But but how did you? Why did you fit it in there? Well, actually, in, in a way, it is um, because you know uh, one of the messages of the theology of the body is also about our ultimate destination. Yes. Right, and an alter de alter ultimate destination is to be united with Christ as a bride of Christ in heaven. Okay. And we're going to be spending an eternity in adoration. Okay. So the last song of the album, what we wanted to do was to evoke that feeling, and so what we did was use the Tantamergo down uh -huh. in adoration, falling. Uh huh. So the whole idea of the last song of the album being to the Tantum Ergo is to basically evoke the idea of, hey, this is where we're destined to go, and in a four-minute rock song, how do we get the get across the idea that you're in heaven in adoration for eternity with with our Lord? That's 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 good, and and it's not just to be listened to then during Lent or during adoration, right? No, no, it's it's basically you know get to get across. Uh, and it was a real challenge, right? Because I had to tell my producer, Andrew Horrocks, I said, I want this song, at the end of the song, to feel as if, to, it's a rock song, but I wanted to have a spiritual feeling at the end yeah. of it. So he ended it with pipe organs. So the very yeah. last thing you hear yeah. at the end of the song are these majestic pipe organs just kind of ringing off into the distance. And, right. Uh, it's yeah. one of the songs that we've gotten the most uh, interesting, positive reactions to. Yeah, no, I think so, especially when people are looking, young people that are looking of new ways to incorporate those age-old devotions. Um, David, we're going to have to leave it there, but I did want to uh, let people know about your CD release concert that's taking place next Friday. Thank Novem you. November 13th. So that's November 13th, 7 p.m. Um, in Elmira, Ontario. If you have no idea where that is, it's near Kitchener-Waterloo. It's uh, Apparently, it's only about an hour from Toronto if you're in the Toronto area. Um, or uh, London. It's about an hour from London as well. Uh, so in that area, go to David uh, s uh, Critical Mass's website, uh, catholicrock.com. Um, yep. And all the information is there. Um, uh, you will not be uh, disappointed if you're able to go to this. And you can also go to that same website uh, to get more information on the album body language and uh, and to book them for a concert or to find out where else they're playing or to find out anything about the band so it's Ab absolutely and, and i really want to emphasize we are doing a winter tour okay and 
we're willing to go pretty much anywhere in Canada for the winter tour. So definitely contact us through the website yeah. because this multimedia presentation is going to hit the road in the dead of winter. Yeah, excellent. So that's catholicrock.com. Uh, Catholic we also will put a link off our uh, our radio webpage in case people forget that. So David, thank you so much. Um, uh, good to talk to you. And sorry about your windpipe, but but I'm glad that you're better. Thanks very much. And uh, and good luck on uh, on the concert. Thanks. Thanks, Pedro. Thanks, Salt and Light. We've been speaking with David Wong. He's a singer and songwriter with the Catholic rock band Critical Mass. Again, to find out anything about the group, go to their website, catholicrock.com. And now here, as prom- well, it's not as promised, because I don't think I mentioned it, but we are going to play uh, Tantum Ergo uh, from the new album, Body Language. Here is Critical Mass with their new setting for Tantum Ergo. Tantum Ergo Sacramentum Praise that be de supplementum, sensum defectum. Oh, 
That was our featured band of the week, Critical Mass, with Tantum Ergo from the Body Language album. I'm Pedro Guevara Man. You're listening to Salt and Light Radio. Our email address is radio at saltandlighttv.org, and our blog can be found at saltandlighttv.org slash blog. And now here with us again is Alicia Ambrosio. Second half of events. Yes, this time we're starting with Toronto because... Because <laughs> you're biased because you live in Toronto. Because I live Toronto. in Toronto. Yes. <laughs> so, in Toronto, everyone is welcome. Join Archbishop Thomas Collins for Lexio Divina. Yes. If you're from Toronto, you're familiar with the series. It is happening at St. Michael's Cathedral this Sunday. He's leading another session of prayer and reflection on scriptural passages. This year's theme, of course, is the parables of Jesus, and this Sunday's passage is Matthew chapter 13, verses 24 to 43. So if you're in Toronto, come on down to St. Mike's Cathedral. The, e- the evening begins with Vespers at 7 p.m., and then Lexio itself begins at 7.30, runs till about 8.15. And if you're not in Toronto, remember Salt and Light Television airs Lexio Divina from St. Michael's Cathedral, and it so it will air the following Sunday. You can watch it on Salt and Light Television. Good plug, Pedro. The Office of Catholic Youth for the Archdiocese of Toronto is holding information sessions this coming week for young people interested in going to World Youth Day 2011. Time to plan. Madrid. Yeah, Madrid. Here we come. Madrid 2011. There is one information session for each of the regions. So that is North, West, East, and Central Toronto in this coming week for exact dates and locations visit the OCY website www.ocytoronto.org follow their link for upcoming events also in Toronto the 5th annual All For Him concert is happening Saturday November 14th at the Meeting House in Mm -hmm. Oakville so for more details visit the website www.allforhim.ca and that's the number 4 so So all A-L-L number 4 him H-I-M all for him .ca. Moving on to Montreal, a little cultural escape here. Yes. The Maison Saint-Gabriel is home to a unique exhibit of silver. Interesting. Yes. Some of the oldest pieces date back to 1625, and some of these pieces on display from 1625 were actually given to the Congregation of Notre Dame by the recluse Jean Lebert. Mm. So the exhibit is on now, and it runs to December 18th. For more information, call 514-931-8136. If you're looking for something, you know, different to do on a weekend, that might be it. Now, over to St. John's, Newfoundland. Confirmation candidates are invited by Bishop Robert Harris to participate in a pilgrimage to the Cathedral of the Immaculate Conception on November 15th. I thought that was pretty neat. That's different, yes. Yeah. Candidates will gather at St. Malachy's to meet the bishop and have lunch and then proceed on the pilgrimage. So for more information, check out St. John's Diocesan website. I'm going to ask you to do that again because I think it's St. Malachi. Malachi. Okay. So on to St. John's Newfoundland where confirmation candidates are being invited by Bishop Robert Harris to participate in a pilgrimage to the Cathedral of the Immaculate Conception on November 15th. That's different. That's a neat way to prepare for confirmation, yeah. Candidates will gather at St. Malachi's to meet the bishop and have lunch and then proceed on the pilgrimage. For more information, check out St. John's Diocesan website. 
In Halifax, Sister Nuala Kenny, who is a well-known pediatrician and medical ethicist, and I think you're familiar with her, yes. Pedro, yes. She will be at St. Agnes Parish on November 9th to speak about Bill C-384, hmm. also known as the Right to Die with Dignity Bill. Yes. Sister Nuala's talk will begin at 7 p.m., and that's at St. Agnes Parish. All are welcome. Yeah, well, that's good. We should be having those conversations in every city mm -hmm. across the country, Bill C. Uh, 384, we spoke about it at the beginning of the program, is something that uh, we should all be aware yeah, of. It's happening. Um, I don't think it'll pass, but well. we the, the more they bring it up, the closer we get exactly. to it. Exactly, and so she's the perfect person to be talking about that. Yes, excellent. Yeah. So thank you, Alicia. That uh, was uh, our events. Um, remember, let us know about your events. It's as easy as sending us an email. Let us know what's happening in your, in your city, in your diocese. Send us an email, radio at saltandlighttv.org. You're listening to Salt and Light Radio on the Catholic Channel, Sirius 159 and XM117. I'm Pedro Guevara Man. And I'm Alicia Ambrosio. So tomorrow, Sunday, November 8th, we return with an all-new witness. Father Thomas Rosica interviews John Favis of Catholic News Service. And someone you're very familiar with, Alicia. My old boss. Yes. So that's on Witness tomorrow, Sunday, November 8th at 8 p.m. Eastern, 9 Pacific. And following Witness, stay tuned for the first episode of the new season of Nothing More Beautiful from the beautiful Cathedral of Edmonton. So that is uh, uh, Nothing More Beautiful. Tomorrow's catechist is Edmonton's Archbishop Richard Smith. And the witness is given by Lydia Cristini. The topic, of the topic is Jesus Christ, Word of God Made Flesh. That's Nothing More Beautiful tomorrow, November 8th at 9 p.m. Eastern, 10 p.m. Pacific. Yes. And next Saturday, tune in for a wonderful documentary on the life and death of Father Martin Royakers who was a Canadian Jesuit uh, who was brutally murdered while working as a parish priest in Jamaica. That one is Memories of Martin next Saturday, November 14th at 9 p.m. Eastern, 10 p.m. Pacific. And remember, for any information about Salt and Light TV programming or to watch our programs streaming live, just visit our website, saltandlighttv.org. And to listen to any of our Salt and Light radio programs, just go to saltandlighttv.org slash radio. The show is also available as a podcast on iTunes. So if you're an iTunes user, look us up. And, you know, let us know your thoughts and ideas. We say this at the end of every show. We love your comments. Send your suggestions for the Man in Black segment or, or tell us what you think about restorative justice that we spoke about today or about, about Bill C-384. Send us all your comments to radio at saltandlighttv.org. And that's, that's not the only thing you can do. Don't forget to check out our blog. Yes. That's also saltandlighttv.org slash blog. And look us up on Facebook. Yes. Salt and Light Radio. Yeah, you know, it's really neat. Every time I check that Facebook, uh, the Facebook fan page, mm -hmm. there are a couple of new fans. So that's very exciting. So join up. Um, that brings us to the end of the program, Alicia. Um, wow, that went fast. Yes. Now, do you know, do you know about this film, 2012? Oh, yes. The I've film seen about the Mayan prophecy. I've seen, I've heard about the Mayan prophecy and I've seen the trailers the trailer for that film. The trailer is very, uh, very yes. uh, big. <laughs> <laughs> no, okay, so this is, for those of you that don't know about this, this is a, a Mayan prophecy that says, or that 
implies that the world will come to an end in the year 2012. Of course, there's a movie coming out yes. November 13th. So next week, we're going to speak about prophecies um, and what the church has to say about them. And we're also going to bring you a new man in black, <laughs> Father Paul Massel. He's a good friend of mine, so it's, 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 I'm glad that he agreed to be on the show. He's from the Diocese of Peterborough. So don't forget to tune in. Thanks for being with us. I was joined today by Salt and Light producer Alicia Ambrosio. Nice to have you with us. Thanks. It was good to be here. And my name is Pedro. Have a wonderful rest of the weekend. This has been Salt and Light Radio. <laughs>